Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand together. Good morning, if you join us from home. It's good to be joining with the church on Sunday to sing. We're going to hear God call us to worship from his word. Let's listen to Psalm 118. Verse 14 says this, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. We're not gathering in tents this morning. We're gathering in a building, but as we gather together, all of us with our, with the righteousness that we have in Christ, we're going to let our songs rise to him and let the Lord be strength to us as we sing. So let's sing this together. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us?
called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. He has saved. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. 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 The sustaining love, the forgiving love. Strength and love, steadfast love. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every 
every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. 
Lead me in your love for those around me. Help me display the glory of the gospel. Help me to be loving to those around me. Oh, lead me, Lord. Oh, lead us, Lord, to build our lives upon you, to give you glory and you Lord, lead us, Lord. I will build. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done so that everyone might know your name. Build our lives on you. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth till your song.
us who are weak. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. By grace, we'll preach your gospel till our dying breath. Let your kingdom come, let your Christians. It's a cause not to build our own kingdom, not to, to secure, for else, uh, secure for ourselves our own uh, stability. Lord, our role, our cause as Christians is your cause. It's to build your kingdom. It's to advance the gospel in the earth. It's to let those around us who don't know who you are and don't know what it's like to be redeemed by you, to know forgiveness, to know hope and peace. It's, it's our cause to do the work of your cause, that you might be known. Lord, so help us, God, as we have come out of another week and we go back into another week, Lord, to be reminded of this cause, Lord, to, to just have our attention uh, captured afresh by your glorious cause that the song that we sing this week would be a song of your renown. We pray for this work. Lord, Spirit of God, enable us. We pray in your name. Amen. The content of this morning's worship, the lyrics that Eric and the team prepared, they... They hearken back to the content of last week's sermon where we're, we're called to, we're, we're given eyes to look upon our mission, the, the, the cause of God in the life of each and every individual. Um, we've been singing songs with lyrics like, Lord, Lord, your, your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. And, and we looked last week that... The, Spiritual gifts, this, this topic of, of spiritual gifts bears testimony to the need that we have for God to be involved in our lives, not for our benefit per se, but for his purposes in this world while this world still continues. Let me re read a passage for you in First Peter chapter 2. The apostle writes, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And it's important that we realize what Peter is saying there, that with God's work in our hearts through Christ did not just make us a people or, or a good people or even a people with an option to identify ourselves as whom we would want to be. God redeemed us in Christ and made us his people. He made us his property. He made us his own. And as such, he's redefined not only our identity, but our purposes. The, 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 the very working out of our life falls under that umbrella of the glorious cause of God. We have a new identity in Christ. We have a new purpose in Christ and we join in the cause of God. God was into causes and instituting, instituting causes is before doing such a thing was cool. That's, that's cool and hip nowadays in culture. You lift up causes and you join them. God was into that business before any of that was something that we paid attention to. And that is our identity as Christians. So this moment of, of tithes and offerings, how is that connected to the cause of God? Well, by the giving of your tithes and offerings, you join in funding that cause. You, you join in experiencing that cause, equipping that cause, resourcing that cause of God. God's called you to be a Christian, to live the Christian life, to give of yourself and all that that entails for his purposes and for his glory. So as we give, let's go to the Lord in prayer and reflect on what God has entrusted us to be and to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf and for the, the new mission that Christ has uh, thrown us into, Father, this defining, all-encompassing mission of bringing your name glory, of bringing the knowledge of Christ uh, to bear on all humanity, O oh Lord, to join in the greatest, most exciting, most lasting, most influential thing a human being could be a part of, and that is presenting you to your creation, that your creatures, that your people would come to know the God that has made them, would come to finally have the knowledge of peace and forgiveness and righteousness through Christ, that they could be made right fully and forever through the redeeming work of Christ. That is our cause, O oh Lord, to bring about the knowledge of your glory to the ends of the earth. So Father, help us, uh, invigorate us, O oh Lord, and help us freely give and cheerfully give towards that cause. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you give, there's a number of different ways you could do that. Physically, you could do that by uh, taking advantage of the giving boxes in the back. Certainly, there's a number of different uh, digital means that you could take advantage of as well uh, that the screen show. Well, I've said a lot, and I haven't told you who I am. Uh, my name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome uh, to those gathered here. Welcome to those upstairs in uh, the family room and to those watching from home. Welcome to you guys, too. If this is your first Sunday with us... Um, even in the midst of, of social uh, distancing and quarantine, you, you found your way into a church. We would love to get the opportunity to meet you. Uh, please come talk to any one of us on staff and, and just get a chance to connect with you and say hi. Uh, if you're cool doing that six feet away, we, we'll wave at you and, and, and do it that way, certainly. But we'd just l love to get your name and just uh, get to know who you are, wh where you're coming from. A couple of quick announcements. Um, small group season has begun. 
And there's still time for you to join any one of the small groups that we have available. Uh, you could do so by looking at the small uh, group uh, small group booklet in the back. It'll show you uh, info on the small groups. And certainly you can register uh, uh, to a small group through the uh, church app uh, on your phone or an iPad or, or, or whatever. Come ask questions for that. And then I have a, a, an announcement on the, on the sobering side uh, asking for your prayer for Jean Berg and her family. Uh, Jean lost her mom this past week. Miss Charlene Lawson uh, passed away uh, earlier in the week. And, um, and that's not the only loss she's experienced this year. In April, Jean lost her father, Ken. So uh, please pray for the Berg family that the, the Lord's nearness would be uh, felt and experienced in a unique and intense way during the, this time of, of um, heavy loss. Well, uh, having said all that, Pastor Keith, would you bring us the word? Thank you, Ronald. Good morning. Good to see you guys today. So grateful that we are sharing space without having to figure out how to clean up after a hurricane. That was a gracious gift of God to spare us this week. Uh, would you guys go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? And, and while you're doing that, I just want to encourage a couple of things. Maybe if you, if you have something to write with, you can write down a note to yourself, which, which are in your, when you're in church, you should be writing a lot of notes to yourself, right? I mean, God just has our attention. That's what I prayed last night for us, that Lord, when we're together, could you just make it so that all of our attention is right here and we're focused on you, right? Because I know my mind is so scattered these days. So uh, a couple of things that if you could write down and be aware of, uh, I know I updated last week and we were asking for prayer for Nancy Treby, who's uh, been moved to ICU over the weekend as her situation's intensified a bit. Got a good report this morning, at least an improved report from where she was. But we've got a number of needs for just God to show up in healing uh, among us. Uh, some of you folks would know Salvador Sal. I'm going to butcher his name, but Salvador and Rosie, who have moved here, been in the church for oh, a year or so. Uh, he is fighting COVID right now in the hospital. Older gentleman, please pray for him. Uh, some of you guys have seen Terry Roboski's uh, announcement that she has been diagnosed with cancer and facing treatments. And we want to be praying for her. Trudy Morris is, is facing a pretty significant need for God to intervene in her health and things that she's going through right now. Miss Thelma's in the hospital. If you're not aware of those things, you can be aware of those kinds of needs. They're on the prayer chain and you can subscribe to that and you can be part of a team praying for these needs in our midst. But I just want to keep those things in front of you because they are among the very important things that we need to be praying about. Uh, listen, I'm going to share with us a message this morning. I have an important announcement to make at the close of the service. So hopefully you can be here for, for all of that this morning. But 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to read a few aspects of this verse this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cover something this morning that, that, you know, after we shared last week, I had a conversation. I think Pastor Peter and I talked a little bit during the week. Um, he... I think helpfully pointed out, you know, there may be some folks that are among us that this subject is either, either not real familiar to them or, or maybe not familiar from the way in which we are used to speaking about it. And so this issue of 
a setting in Corinth where gifts were operating, gifts of tongues and prophecy were operating. And I want to recognize that maybe this is the first time you've been in a Bible study setting where you're going to study through those verses to see, well, how do we understand those things? And, and so maybe for you, this is the first time you've ever explored some of these thoughts. It's, in an, it's a little bit different of a category. But for some, you're coming to this category having already visited it. And you've been informed or taught. Uh, maybe for some, yeah, absolutely. Tongues and prophecy, that's right. That's in the Bible. And maybe for others, whoa, time out. Not, not real sure about that. And so... What I want to do today before I get too much farther, next week we're going to get into more defining of the use and the actual experiencing of these two gifts. But what I want to do today, I titled the message today, Interpreting 1 Corinthians 14 in its proper setting, right? And just for Bible reading tip for all of us, when you pick up the scriptures and read them, you are reading, especially the letters in the New Testament, you are reading content and ideas that were set in a particular place before you and I ever came along, right? So what's important for us to remember is sometimes we're bringing our setting to the reading of the text, but the the, the text already had a setting. It was in the first century in a town called Corinth, and there was some stuff going on there that's important for us to recognize. So I want to give a little bit of background in that, but let me just start by reading a piece of this chapter that we're going to explore further. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And then Paul's going to venture into some detailed explanations for what are these gifts and what are some of the boundaries and regulations for them. But why is he teaching this is found in verse 26. And this is a very important verse for them and for us. Paul says, so what then, right? That's a summary moment when a writer is saying, so what's up with this? When you come together, each one has, well, a hymn, a lesson. A revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And we, we spent a good bit of time on that point last week. Cannot overemphasize it enough that, that you and I exist in life with a need to be spiritually healthy. That's what that word building up is about. Right? So, so don't, don't overlook this. Right? In the same way that we live in a culture that's you know, kind of into physical fitness and there's a lot of diets and what, what's the right thing to eat and pay attention to the labels on what you're about to put in your body. I mean, I know I've had to grow to do that more and more as I've gotten older. That's for the sake of keeping this physical structure of mine healthy so that it can live the life that I'm supposed to be called to live. But this is a different kind of building up. 
This is a spiritual building up. This is something that God does through these other means to reach on the inside of us in our spirit and strengthen what's there, to invigorate it, to make it better tomorrow than it is today. And that's massively important. And one of the ways that that's going to happen is that there are these gatherings. And then there are certain things that go on in these gatherings. So I put together a couple of just, I want want you to see some things here with me this morning. This, this is Corinth as, as a, a recreation of, of what it probably looked like in the first century. It's a Roman colony, so you've got a lot of Roman-looking influence there. Behind that is one of the ports. It's actually uh, located on a, on a little isthmus, like a peninsula. On both sides of it were water ports. And so that allowed for a lot of trade, a lot of people coming and going into this town. So if you were going to gather together, when you come together, you're coming together in somebody's house scattered in this town, right? So because it's a Roman setting, Roman colony, the, the, the houses probably look like this Roman villa right here. So when you come together, you're probably using somebody's house, maybe probably somebody with a little bit of money who's in the church, who had a place that we could meet and, and you can show up there and we're going to have the gathering here, right? So hold on to this image because when we, when we learn about spiritual gifts in this setting, some great stuff is in chapter 14. You're going to learn about speaking in tongues in public and the possibility that into your meeting could come unbelievers. And so the meeting in that day, mostly, predominantly, I think we're safe to say, was, was a meeting like one of our covenant groups. You know these people. You saw them last week. You're a believer. They're a believer. You have different backgrounds, different experiences in life. But you know each other. And there's a gathering of you. But the way these guys were set up, right? Typical house in Corinth was going to have shops in the front where you'd conduct business. You'd sell your, apply your trade, sell your goods, etc. And it could be that, that when you come together to meet, maybe you're meeting in the atrium. Right? Maybe you've got 30, 40, 50 people that you got to put somewhere and you find the biggest opening. And as long as it's not raining outside, you're, you're gathered into the atrium there. And maybe in your meeting comes somebody who sticks their head into your shop and they hear this meeting going on. And they kind of wander into your meeting. They're not a believer. Just kind of checking out what's going on in here. Right? Now you can imagine in that setting, what we're going to learn as we read this chapter is that some of these guys are just, you know, it's like a tongues fest going on in Corinth and everybody's speaking in tongues at once, 30, 40 people, they're all speaking in tongues. And some guy sticks his head in the shop and he's like, Whoa, what the heck is this? Right. And so this is kind of the setting that, that, that would happen. It wouldn't be unusual that if you were on your way home from work and then your next stop is to come to the church meeting and you have one of your slaves with you and you brought your slave with you to the meeting. Right. I mean, he just goes wherever you go and does whatever you're doing. And he sits down with me, but he's not a believer. You're a believer, but he's not a believer. And he's in that meeting. And so the, the guidelines that are here in this passage kind of come to life when you see this is the setting in which they're in, right? And, and this is what it maybe would have looked like. Let me see the people that possibly, right? These are recreations. You know, maybe there's a couple of shots of pictures that were taken. First century, believers are gathered, crowded into rooms. Um, 30 of them, 40 of them, 50 of them, 60 of them. We don't know. But when they come together... Paul's instructing them, when you come together like this, one of you has a hymn. One's got a revelation. One has a tongue. One has an interpretation. 
right? It's a description of a setting where these gifts can function. And you can see, right? They're waiting. They're waiting for somebody to share something or give a word to somebody, etc. So it's important that when you read 1 Corinthians 14 that you can get a sense of what is this setting like? Well, you know what it's not like? It's not Paul speaking to an amphitheater of thousands of people. When you come together, right, that's not the setting. That doesn't mean Paul didn't do that, but that's probably not the setting he's trying to direct in Corinth. More than likely, they, these were house church meetings where people were meeting and having church in their house. All right, so that helps me get an idea of what are these gifts going to look like when they actually function? All right, the other thing that's critically important to putting 1 Corinthians 14 in its proper setting is to put it in the setting in which God is using these kinds of things. Right, so I'm going to call that in your outline, I called it a theological time zone. Right? God is doing something in this moment. This gathering in 1 Corinthians 14 is happening in the year 55 AD. Okay, what is God doing in that moment? All right, well, I'll put together a little bit of a graphic here. I'll try and take it apart for you to see. Uh, you know, over the banner of human existence, this is what God is always doing. God's purpose of redemption. Right, so if you're new to the Bible, for instance, you know, there's a lot of bad ways to read the Bible, uh, unfortunately. And so sometimes our impression is, okay, this is just a, a collection of sayings. Wise dudes stroked their beards and broke out a pen and wrote down some ideas. And look, we're reading these now. And, you know, God helps those who help themselves and stuff like that. That's not even in the Bible that we think is in the Bible. Um, it's like, a, it's, it's just wise little snip, you know, snippets for us to live our lives. No, it, it is one book telling one featured story. God's purpose of redemption. From beginning to end, this is what God is doing. Right? We, we start this in this origin story that in the beginning, God created everything. And, and I don't know, I mean, it's a lot of important verses in the Bible, hard for me to say. I don't know if there's a more important verse than that because nothing makes sense to our existence once you remove that. Where did you come from? God created you. Once you establish that reality, your curiosity goes off from there, right? Because why you are the way you are and what's your purpose and why do you even exist? And you want to be really good at something. You want to have a particular kind of life, but how does that fit into the grand scheme of things? Well, this is what God's been doing since Genesis. He created and then the world was plunged into darkness and sin. And God's storyline ever since that moment has been to reclaim his fallen creation and bring back to himself humanity. And he's done that in particular ways. So if you just follow the storyline of the Bible, the way God does that doesn't show up every day the same way. And that's important, right? And that's why I've got a, a little subheading on the bottom down here of, of the Holy Spirit in three different ways. Right, so before Jesus comes, God is going to show up. He's going to show up in a man named Abraham's life. And he's going to call Abraham into a special relationship with himself because God, through Abraham's life, is going to tell the redemption story and he's going to bring it to people. Abraham becomes the means for that to get known. 
And so God shows up in a particular way in Abraham's life. And then out of Abraham comes the nation of Israel. And God's now going to show himself to the world through a nation. So that nation gets gathered at Mount Sinai. God writes his ideas down on a tablet, gives them to Moses. They live in covenant with God throughout the Old Testament, all the way up to the point of the Messiah coming. And during that time, right, if you guys have read the Old Testament, you're going to notice this. Find me the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. All right, so here's my two words to describe that. Selective and sporadic. I mean, you recognize God deals with Abraham, makes promises. God's presence shows up right there. And then 25 years of silence before God shows up again in that man's life. That's how God was doing it. He is selective. Not everybody experiences the Holy Spirit the same way. Right? You've got the Holy Spirit coming upon Moses in an amazing, dramatic, almost nobody else in the Old Testament is like him. You have prophets that God suddenly comes upon that prophet and he, he sees things and reveals things. He's the seer, the man of God. If you were walking in the nation of Israel at that time, you would know. You'll hear when the prophet comes to town, there's like a buzz in town because he's special. He's not like everybody else. The average Joe doesn't get these kind of revelations from God and impartations by the Holy Spirit into their lives. You got to go see that guy if you want to experience that. So selective and sporadic characterizes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But, but then Jesus comes and the ministry of the Holy Spirit changes. Right? From the moment Jesus goes on the scene and is going to minister to people, he goes out to be baptized by John the Baptist. And when he is baptized, remember, the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove. So the Spirit has come upon Jesus in a way that, that was selective before. There are other people where the Spirit would come upon them in the Old Testament. But upon Jesus, the Spirit has come. And then the first thing Jesus does with that is he explains his ministry one day in the synagogue. And he opens up Isaiah and he reads to them, recorded in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord, right? You want to understand why I'm here? You want to understand what I'm doing? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news. And he, and he shares what this impact is going to be. But the ministry of Jesus is empowered by uniquely the coming upon and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to trace the activity of the Holy Spirit while Jesus is here on earth, you're going to need to go find Jesus and wherever he is. That's where you're going to find the Holy Spirit doing something amazing and powerful. But then there's another day coming after Jesus. And, and we call that the last days. And it features not Jesus upon the earth as a human being, but the church made up of many, many, many people. And so we're going to see today that chapter frames our expectations that lead us to some conclusions about 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You have to know what chapter you're in. If 1 Corinthians is a meeting that's taking place in Old Testament Israel, I have a different set of expectations about that meeting than the one that I anticipate taking place in the last days for the church to gather then. Because God's doing it differently on purpose. And I need to know that, right? So my question 
for us is what are our expectations of the ministry of the Holy Spirit today? When you come together, whether it's a Corinthian or it's Lakeview Christian Center, when you come together, what do you expect the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be like in that moment? And then something I want to adjust today as kindly as I can. Where did you get those expectations from? Right, I would say we can form expectations out of things that come from troubled places. They can be unbiblical. They can be extra biblical. Right? Those are two different elements. Right? Unbiblical, I, I use that word to mean uh, you have expectations about the Holy Spirit that nothing in the Bible should give you that expectation, right? And in parts of the world, that's a real problem, right? I know that, you know, reading about uh, missionary and, and church activities even today, in, in places where spiritism is much more common, not like the technological West that we live in. But if you go to tribal settings, where there is a heightened sense of awareness of spiritual beings and spiritual activity, they will pick up a lot of that and bring it with them into the church. And so what's the Holy Spirit doing in your meeting? Well, it sounds like what it used to do spiritually before I even knew Christ. And it's got, you know, voodoo mixed with it and incantations. All right, all right, so that's unbiblical stuff. But then there's extra biblical stuff that can form your expectations. Right? So maybe what you've done is, is you have experienced life a certain way and you have drawn some conclusions because you say, well, the, the Bible says this and this and this, and there's these gaps in here that I don't know how to fill them in. So I bring extra biblical thoughts to those gaps and I fill them in with that. And then I draw my conclusions. You know, if there's gaps in the Bible, and there are, by the way, sometimes the best thing you can do with those gaps is leave them alone. And just let them be gaps and just join others in scratching your head <laughs> and say, I don't know. That's my best answer. I don't know. And if the Bible really wanted me to know, it would have told me more in that little gap spot right there. But since it doesn't, I'm not going to impose my reasonings on those gaps and force it in one direction or the other. Like for instance, another thing that causes us to have unbiblical or extra biblical expectations is our own background and experiences. All right, so you maybe have come from a church background that talked about these gifts and you saw them done in a bad way. You saw disorder. You saw something that, that feels like has this church ever read 1 Corinthians 14? Because there's a lot of order in this chapter about spiritual gifts. But some churches don't practice that order. They seem to be ignoring something that's here in this chapter. So maybe you've come from that. Maybe you've been in a setting that's, that's made you feel like, you know what, what do I expect of the Holy Spirit? Anything but that. That's what I expect. That was weird, man. People did this and then they behaved this way and they fell down and they, this thing happened to them. That's just weird, all right? So, all right, so what do you expect? When you come together, what do you expect? I don't know what I expect. I just expect not that. <laughs> and, that's, and you're here today trying to protect yourself from whatever that was. And then there's another set of people in the room who you just haven't had a lot of experiences in this category, right? 
Or you have sought some of these things and swung and missed over and over and over again, right? So here's what I mean by an extra biblical thought. The Bible teaches about gifts of healing. The Bible models Jesus going around and bringing the power of the Holy Spirit to disrupt the natural world and heal people. And you see that. And you've been saved for many, many years and you've prayed for people and you've watched other people pray for people and one year after another after another and you've never seen anybody get healed. No one's ever shared a story after you prayed with them that, hey, Wednesday, totally healed. Right, so you've done this and done this and done this and done this and done this. And then you come across a person who has a little angle on that, a teacher. And he comes along and he says, you know, God doesn't do those kinds of miracles anymore. Those were special events that God did to validate who Jesus was and to get the New Testament church off the ground, to kind of draw the curiosity of human beings into that. So did you get that from the Bible, by the way? No. But it sounds like a decent explanation for why you keep praying for people and don't see any results. And I've prayed for a prophetic word. I've never gotten a prophetic word. I don't speak in tongues. I've wanted to and I've sought to, but I don't. So you hear somebody come along and say, well, maybe you should stop expecting that. Yeah, maybe I should. Yeah, maybe this were just for some bygone era because I don't see it happening a whole lot. All right, that's an extra biblical thought. You didn't get that from the Bible. The Bible didn't install in you this idea that Hey, you'll have this for a little while and then it's going to go away. So you're going to have to find a different explanation from the Bible to figure out, well, why is this not happening for me? And you're going to have to avoid the temptation to limit the Bible to what you have experienced in your own life. If I, if I took a poll of everybody in the room here today and said, how many of you have you have specifically shared the gospel with somebody and they have come to faith in Christ as a result of you specifically sharing the gospel with them. Uh, there would be a number of people in the room here would say, it's never happened for me. I've shared the gospel with, with people before. No one's ever gotten saved. Year after year after year after year after year. Okay, do you want to conclude that God's not saving people anymore? Because in your experience, people don't respond to the gospel and you haven't seen them come to Christ. So therefore, God doesn't do that anymore, right? When I, pick, when I say it that way, you're like, well, of course not. So be careful we don't impose an extra biblical idea on these biblical concepts, right? So, so here's our moment, right? My chart going away there. Here's my, our moment. We are in these last days. We still have our complicated graphic. Um, we are in these last days. And in these last days, God is doing something specific with the Holy Spirit, just like he was before and just like he was with Jesus, but he's doing something specific now with each and every one of us in the church. So we need an update. We need to be clear. What's the Holy Spirit going to be doing today in the church in these settings? So when we visit Corinth in chapters 12 through, through 14, where are we in this, in this time zone of God? Where are we? that we should have any expectations here. Well, here's where we are. We're 55 AD. So we're 20 years from the beginning of the last days. That's where we are. And Paul zooms in on a church, local church, and says, hey guys, this is how you do this. When you come together, 
This is how you use these gifts. This is how you don't use these gifts. All right. So that's, that's advice from Paul 20 years into the last days. All right. Can I just go with me here? Let's fast forward. And Paul's going to visit another church 20 more years from now. now. So now we're 40 years in. What's Paul's advice going to sound like to them, you think? I probably guess it's going to sound just like 1 Corinthians 14. When you come together, let's fast forward 100 years. You're 100 years into the last days. What's Paul's advice to a local church going to sound like there? I think it's going to sound just like it did in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. How about 200 years later? How about 2,000 years later? When does Paul stop sounding like 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Well, I don't think he ever does. I think if you're living in the last days and you are called to minister and be a people in these last days, these are going to characterize when you come together. And they're going to form my expectation. I don't know what else might... These need to inform my expectations, right? But we've done some weird stuff in these categories. So I wrote this out in your outline. Here's just a reality. Uh, somehow, this chapter, by the way, is about tongues and prophecy. So we're going to live in those categories uh, next week. But notice I said this in your outline. Tongues and prophecy are often artificially separated from the rest of the spiritual gifts and set in another place, a man-made status under a heading like the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts. And by the way, the Bible uses those terminologies. But what it doesn't do is create that category and then explain anything about that category underneath it. So for us to take all these gifts, right? The, the New Testament is scattered gifts all over the place. There's just these gifts. When Paul talks about gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a random set of gifts. And then he brings them up again at the end of that chapter, a little bit more random set of gifts. And then he talks about them again here. And when you come together in another random set, and then Peter brings them up and Paul brings them up in Romans chapter 12. And they're just a random collection of gifts, everything from administration to teaching, to tongues, to prophecy. They're just gifts. It's like the spices in your spice rack in your house. There's not like, well, <clears throat> all of these are spices, but these, these are the limited time, strange spices that need. And it's like, no, they're all spices. When you cook, use them. Right, Mark? You got any special? Yeah, no, uh, that one. They're all spices. Cook up the church and use them all. And, you know, one made paprika for this one. Hey, a little salt, a little pepper here. I mean, just a different collection when Paul the chef tells you how to cook in the New Testament. But somehow we have taken a few of these and we've separated them. And we said, even though we're in the last days and we need these gifts, hey, you know what? Let's put these over here and let's, maybe we don't need these. Or maybe these shouldn't function, right? Well, I'm going to make a case for the fact that the last days are, are challenging days. That God meets by pouring out his spirit in a unique way. The last days are not the Old Testament days. They are the last days. And there's going to be activity in those last days that are forceful and powerful, both in opposition to God and with God. And that's what we get here, right? So let me pull you into this last day's comment. <clears throat> Gifts are associated with the end times outpouring of the Holy Spirit that inaugurates the mission of the church. 
right? So here's how we get into this. I'm going to do this really quickly because we looked at some of these verses already. Luke chapter 24, end of the Messiah's ministry, end of the anointed period where the spirit is upon him. He says this to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. The spirit came upon him. I'm sending him upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus says, get ready because it's about to be different. You're about to be clothed with power. Luke picks that up again in Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, right? So this mission of being God's witness in the last days needs special power, clearly. And then the day comes. Here's the inauguration of these last days. Acts chapter two, verse four. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. Jerusalem is a unique setting. I'll unpack that a little bit more in the future. But the Spirit comes and inaugurates this moment that we move into the last days now. How do we understand what just took place? Well, we don't have to wait too long because the Apostle Peter is going to explain to us what just happened. These people who walked out into the streets speaking in tongues, and we're going to learn a lot about speaking in tongues from this passage because it's going to talk about them speaking to God. By the way, they weren't speaking to the crowd. So it wasn't like they, they came out, found a bunch of people. Hey, I'm speaking uh, Parthian. You look like you're from that part of the world. Let's have a conversation here. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm going to talk to you. That, that's not what they were doing. They were speaking to God and they were extolling God about the great things of God and praising God and giving thanks to God. That's what they were doing. And they stumble out into the, into the open air and people watch this and they're like, what the heck is this? And why can I understand this guy in my native language? And that guy over there says he understands him. And this is, this is weird, right? In Acts chapter two, verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking saying, no, they're all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is what Joel said. In the last days, Joel says. It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Right. Now, why? Remember Joel's time frame? Joel's an Old Testament prophet. Joel is, is used to selective and sporadic. He's not used to everybody doing this stuff. It's the Moses-like people who prophesy. It's the prophets who prophesy. The rest of us are just novices, man. But Joel sees a day. Everybody's going to do this. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, this is the day. This is when this all starts. Right now, 
that changes your expectations quite a bit, doesn't it? Now, let me, just, let me install an asterisk here next to Acts chapter 2. All right, Acts chapter 2 is a unique setting. It's an unusual setting. I want to say it's a, it's a non-duplicated setting. It is this inauguration moment. And these tongues that were spoken in this setting, I would want to say that, that there's a uniqueness to them that is different than what Paul is going to be talking to the Corinthians about. Right, so in that setting, an open air setting, multiple hundreds and hundreds of people in the streets from all over the country, they've come, all over the world, they've come to the festival of Pentecost. So they speak all kinds of languages. And so God uses this moment to introduce the spirit through a unique expression that they start hearing these other people speak foreign languages, extolling God. Now, some people have, have made a couple of major mistakes with this passage and have treated what they were doing in speaking in tongues as though what they were doing in that moment was proclaiming the gospel in foreign languages like a missionary would do. But that's not what that verse says. It doesn't say that they were proclaiming the gospel. It says that they were extolling, they were speaking to God and extolling the great things of God. And then when they were done, then Peter is going to preach the gospel to those who were in the audience. And then they're going to respond to Peter's preaching. Right, so this is not an evangelistic crusade for multiple languages events. But neither is it a small group meeting in Corinth. Right? You just saw what a small group meeting in Corinth would have looked like. It would have looked like, you know, the 30 people who I just met with last week and the week before that and the month before that and the last year. We've been meeting together. I know you. You know me. We all speak the same language. You understand? There is zero need for the Holy Spirit to come and give language capabilities for this meeting in Corinth. They all speak the same language. They know each other. And for the most part, Paul's writing to a group of people who are believers. That's not Jerusalem. Jerusalem, these people don't know what's going on. They're not believers. It's a totally different setting. So, so be careful that when you and I try to figure out, should we expect anything of tongues in our setting? I would probably say not like Acts chapter 2, no. But yes, like 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Yes. It's a small group meeting. It's a church gathering where the gift functions the way Paul explains that it's going to function, but not exactly the way it functioned in Acts chapter 2. So philosophically, when you approach the Bible here, should, should today's understanding of tongues answer to Acts chapter 2 or answer to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? I think it should answer to, to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in what we practice and understand this gift to be used. And there's an explanation here from Peter. When he picks up this issue of the Old Testament explanation from Joel, he's going to, if you will, explain Joel's passage to us, right? So point number one, this activity that Peter explains is located in a divine timeline that's called the last days. So what happens here is last days stuff that God has reserved for the last days. And then when Peter explains it, he points back to Joel in an interesting way. Because notice what he says Joel prophesied quite actually didn't happen in that setting. Did you guys recognize that? 
These weren't guys who stumbled out. I had a dream. I had a vision. I have a prophetic word. No, they, they, they came out onto the streets speaking in tongues. But yet Joel didn't say anything about speaking in tongues. Does that bother anybody? Do you think Peter misquoted the Old Testament? Joel misspoke? I don't think so. I think what Joel was saying was in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit and these sorts of things are going to happen. You're going to have dreams and visions and prophecies. Oh, and speaking in tongues and uh, gifts of miracles and healings. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just, this is the sort of thing that's going to happen when the Holy Spirit takes up his ministry in the last days in the church. D.A. Carson, speaking in his book, Showing the Spirit, speaks of this setting in Acts 2. He says, it is most striking that Peter understands the tongues phenomena to be the fulfillment of what Joel says regarding prophecy. Put more generally, prophecy, tongues, revelatory dreams, and visions are all lumped together in a single category as the expected attestation of the Spirit has been poured out. So this is what Joel said would happen in the last days. All right, now, rocket science question here. How long do the last days last? Thank you, Sherry. Until Jesus comes back. Does anybody think the Bible teaches something different than that? Does anybody think that the last days have an off-ramp somewhere sooner? That there is a very limited moment here that Joel foresaw. None of us think that. Clearly, every time the last days are described in the scriptures... They are inaugurated once Jesus has come and accomplished all that needed to be accomplished by him. And he's exalted to the Father. And then the day of Pentecost comes, the sending of the Spirit. That inaugurates the last days. And those last days are going to run until Jesus returns and says it's over. This chapter of human existence is now over. But until that day, we are in the last days. So if I'm going to understand 1 Corinthians 14, I first got to put myself in the last days with these gifts. Right, second thought in interpreting this passage. The mission of the church in these last days requires some form of beyond human power. Wait, Jesus said, until you're clothed with power. He didn't say wait for a book. He didn't say wait for further instruction. They had been instructed well. Jesus had been communicating. He had been discipling them. They're disciples of Jesus. They know a lot. But they still need to wait. Because there's something that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to you when he is poured out on you. That nothing else can replicate that. So wait in Jerusalem until that happens. And then third, what are we witnessing in Corinth when, Paul, when we read Paul's letter in chapters 12 through 40, what are we witnessing there? I would make the case that we are witnessing a typical church gathering in the last days. This is what gathering should look like. So my question to maybe solve the issue of, of have any of these gifts stop operating, right? If this is a last days phenomena, wrote this in your notes, and it is joined to the mission we are on as God's people until he returns. What does the Bible say 
that would lead us to call out and separate a handful of spiritual gifts and treat them differently? What does the Bible say that would cause us to do that? To say among all these gifts, this one, this, no, not that one. You can stay. You can stay. You over here and you over here. Where does the Bible ever teach us? Which ones do we choose? Which ones do we not choose? Which ones do we leave there and say, no, no, no. Those are going to continue. These are going to stop. Right? Where does the Bible, the Bible ever teach we should do that? Second, where does the Bible lead us to assign these gifts to cease while the other expressions of power continue? Where do we get the idea that when we pull randomly these guys out and set them in this category, then we take on the idea that those are going to stop, these are going to continue? At, at what point, when do, when do we get something from the scriptures that said those are going to stop at all? And then when do we decide that they're going to stop? Are we getting that from the Bible or is that an extra biblical thought somebody has brought to the Bible? Right, I'm going to argue it's extra biblical. And it usually comes from misusing the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, right? If you're there, you can look at that with me. Paul, in speaking of love, he says, love never ends. He says, but as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All right, if you had never had anybody introduce you to any other time frame but the one that we've talked about from the Bible today, when would you say the perfect coming is? When Jesus returns, right? At the end of the last days. That's how you'd interpret that passage. You'd say, yeah, yeah, tongues is going to cease and prophecy and knowledge. Yeah, that's all going to cease. When the mission is over, when Jesus comes back and returns, these things are going to cease. An extra biblical idea comes along through the centuries that says, well, what if the Bible is the perfect thing that's being spoken of in this passage? All right, if it is, you've got a lot of hard work to do to make the Bible say that. Because you got nowhere in the Bible that the Bible is pointing to itself, that Paul is even teaching an awareness that at some point, everything I've taught is going to be collected together into a book. And what a day that's going to be, guys. It's going to be published. It's going to come to you. Look forward to that. Oh, and by the way, don't ever do anything beyond what that book's going to say. You don't have anything in the Bible that ever sounds that way. You have no moment where this Bible is pointing to itself coming to you in the future. And even if it did, is there anything in the, in the scriptures, in the scriptures that says, you know what, if you let some of these gifts off the leash and let them continue, like prophecy or tongues or revelatory gifts, if you let those things continue, whatever is said by those people could interfere with what the Bible says. And so then we'd have an authority problem. So these gifts need to cease while these gifts continue and the Bible won't be interfered with by these. These are all extra biblical thoughts. Right? Do you understand? If I pick those thoughts up and I say, hey, well, let's not limit that to tongues and prophecy. How about we use that reasoning on the gift of teacher? Because teachers bring revelation with them. 
I'm talking about all kinds of things. These are, these are revealing ideas and concepts. Every teacher does that. And yet the Bible never says, hey, when the Bible comes along, you're not going to need these teachers. The teachers can just read from the Bible and sit down. It would make for shorter messages. I get that. But nowhere in church history or in the scriptures do we get the idea that once you have the scriptures, just read the scriptures and don't say anything else. No, we don't believe that. We believe teachers are gifted by God with some ability to communicate in agreement with. But yet you do recognize not every teacher is always in agreement with the Bible. Right? Y'all ever heard of heresy? <laughs> Error? Paul went around telling people, you have to correct that and correct that and correct that. But nowhere does he say, you know, that's why this teacher gift needs to get shut down. Because it's one bad idea after another messing up the good ideas. So how does that then in the future become this idea that once the Bible is put together, um, the flaws and the problems of prophecy and tongues, we just can set those aside. Now listen, the Bible never teaches that. It never anticipates that these gifts are going to somehow challenge the authority of the Bible or be a difficulty for the Bible. It's just not there. And then when you start to think about it, well, how, how would this even play out, right? Because this is a massive deal. This is a massive deal. If somebody comes along and tells you the way that you do church is different than the way Paul told the Corinthians to do church, you do it different. Stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are, who are you again? <laughs> and why do I want to listen to you after the apostle Paul has told me how to do church? All right, so your view is somehow we're going to do this different because in a mysterious moment in the future, a Bible is going to appear and that's going to make us not do some of these things before. So what exactly is that going to look like? When does this moment of ceasing actually occur? Does, does it happen when the apostle John on the island of Patmos pins the last stroke of the New Testament and puts a period at the end of Revelation and the ink dries? And suddenly, God withdraws the gifts of prophecy and tongues and miracles and healings. Suddenly, that's all done. Right? Somebody on the other side of the world from, he's saved, he's in his prayer closet, he's praying to God in a prayer language. And then period at the end of the sentence by John, ink dries and suddenly he's all shut down. It's like words ran out like a power outage. Is that how it happens? Or, or did the New Testament canon, which again is not explained at all in scripture, have to actually be formalized and all the actual books had to be gathered together into a book called the Bible. And you're not going to get anywhere close to that for a few centuries. But once that happens, once we have that, and I don't know, maybe the first print job or scroll job and they, okay. We've got it. And the moment they had it all together, then everywhere that everybody was speaking in tongues up to that moment, now you stop. Now a power outage, that stopped. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. Is that what that would look like? Or, or, or does it mean when the perfect comes to you, when you have your own copy of the Bible? So if you're in an Amazon tribal jungle and a missionary has come and shared the gospel with you and you're a believer, you got no Bible, because they can barely even speak your language. And Tyndale hasn't written anything for you yet. 
So you got no Bible in your language and you get to speak in tongues, what, until somebody writes the Bible in your language and the missionary pulls up, gets off his boat and say, guys, guess what? I got a Bible for you. And the guy in the tent over there crying out to God in tongues suddenly goes, oop. The Bible came today. I don't have this gift anymore. Is that how this happens? Probably not, right? All these are extra biblical ideas. I think Paul's description is a valid description of what church is going to look like down through the ages from 1 Corinthians. And here's what I would ask. In this category, be biblically loyal to whatever you use to form your view. Be biblically loyal. Don't become more loyal to your own personal experiences, to your own personality. Don't become more loyal to some teaching that you heard once, some other person who formerly, well, because of this, and then because of this, and then because of that, and then because two Bible verses kind of sound like that, then we would conclude that this is how, it's like, wow, that's a lot of extra content that went beyond the scriptures when you just said all that to me. Let me go back to the Bible and just live with that. We live, guys, we live in the last days. A day that Joel foresaw, Peter celebrated, is going to take some unusual power for everybody to possess. For us to be on the mission that we're supposed to be on for the glory of God. We sang that song, love that song. Your glorious cause, oh God, engages our hearts. For us to be about that glorious cause, we need every ounce of power that God has given to us in the church. And so let me give you this sobering thought. In my, in my last little section there is, is earnestly desiring with a question mark, right? That's how Paul's going to start 1 Corinthians 14 with an appeal for us to earnestly desire, earnestly, I really, really want this in my life. I want to earnestly desire the way he's describing that. And his earnest desire, I think, is wrapped up in an awareness that that this power needs to be prevalent among God's people for the last days are going to be difficult times. Matter of fact, you will hear that term last days mentioned several times in the, New, in the New Testament. And I've had folks come to me during this pandemic season and I, I can't count how many times I've been asked that question. So, so do, you, do you think this is the last times? All right, I think what you're actually trying to ask is do you think this is the last days of the last times? That's, that's probably what you're really asking, right? Because you do recognize the last days started at Pentecost. We have been in the last days and the church has been in the last days ever since. But I get that towards the end, you have this increasing of birth pangs. There's going to be more troubles and more difficulties. The descriptions in the Bible about the last days are not pretty. Paul's advice to Timothy about Timothy, get ready, man. People are going to be lovers of self and lovers of money. I mean, he's describing you are going to be doing ministry in such a hostile setting. The last days are going to be faith-crushing days. And, and I appreciate what the Bible does in that moment, right? It's almost like, you know, in a good way, 
bad weathermen, right? I mean, you guys, don't you love the weathermen? It's like, oh, everybody's going to die. I mean, it's like for days. I mean, it's every... It's, 80-foot storm surge never seen on the planet before. Every time a storm comes. And the one thing I guess that's designed to do is to get your attention so that you'll do something in response to something that could be really powerful. All right, God's not a bad weatherman. When he says it's going to be really bad, it's because it's going to be really bad. And the storm surge of evil and selfishness and sin operating in the human heart in the last days is going to be off the charts all around us, in our world, in our culture, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places are going to invigorate and infiltrate even the church. And even our own souls are going to struggle at moments. So when Paul comes along and says, you're going to need to be built up, building up is a priority. It's a priority. In the last days, you can't afford to be out of shape spiritually. Listen, this, this verse, this chapter is appealing for you and I to embrace spiritual gifts that are in the kind of difficult to get our minds around. You know, speaking in tongues and prophesying, that's not the easiest thing to kind of get going in your life. Can I just tell you that Bible reading is about 100,000 times easier to do than that? How many Christians are having a hard time reading their Bible today? This is the last times. These times don't play. If I'm having a hard time with this, but I'm needing to be built up in other ways as well by speaking in tongues and prophesying and being in meetings that look like 1 Corinthians 14 because I need to be built up. You need to be built up. And you and I need to panic a little bit over that. I had two people come up to me this morning after the first service have the same word back to back. I mean, first woman comes, next guy comes, same emphasis. First woman comes, says, I, I was praying this week for you and for the church. And I just, I just had this image, this sense of a, a flock being scattered and, and you were trying to run after them and you were trying to gather them, but they were scattered, right? So she shares that with me. She says, I'm just, just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Next guy walks up, says, you know, just this morning, I was, I was putting my coffee together and, and I had this thought that the, the, the sheep are, are scattered and they're being picked off one at a time. I'm thinking, Lord, you had to have two people come tell me that back to back. Right, do you know that's happening? Do you know that in the body of Christ right now, there is a pandemic scattering of God's people who have become more and more and more vulnerable to things in their lives. And this is a wicked, powerful day. Don't think for a second you can barely read your Bible and have nothing to do with spiritual gifts, but I'm going to be fine. You are not going to be fine. You are going to be picked off. In the last days, it's an intense time that God said, you know, you know what I'm going to do in the last days? I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And everybody's going to have a piece of me at work in them. And some are going to prophesy, and some are going to have gifts of tongues, some are going to have this gift, that gift. And when you come together, you build yourselves up. Because you're going to need it. That's the hour that we live in. This isn't just some, oh, that's a cute subject. I wonder what we think about spiritual gifts as a church. Well, we think we desperately need them. That's what we think. Because we live in the worst of times. And 
I believe, only will get worse and more hostile and volatile against faith in our lives. Let me just give you this last verse. I'll pick this up next week. Jude writes a very short epistle in verse 17. He says this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be, and they said a lot of things at the end of that statement. But here he just picks up a particular angle. There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Can you imagine there's going to be a force in our world that it is going to move so effectively it's going to reach its hands into the church? Jude doesn't care about divisions between the Republicans and the Democrats when he writes this. He's talking about us. This effect from the world is going to reach its way into us and cause divisions among us. Can you imagine that happening? Can you? It's all over the place today, isn't it? Well, what do we do, Jude? It's these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now I'll unpack that verse a little bit more next week. But I just want us to to face the soberness of the scriptures and the call of the hour in which we live. That that these are the last times. And we are being given a means of building up our faith lest we lose it. Lest we get picked off on the edges. And, And I wish I could tell you, nobody's coming to mind when I say that. Unfortunately, People are coming to mind when I say that. So this is, this is helpful. This is important. This is critical for the hour in which we live. So let's do this. Let's stand up together and just pray for a moment. Father, Or maybe we've read books about spiritual gifts. Maybe we've been in discussions. Maybe we've been in debates. Maybe we've read through 1 Corinthians in our devotion time. Lord, maybe we've not seen this building up and the critical hour in which we live and the power of the Holy Spirit that needs to be among your people. Maybe we've misplaced some of that stuff and we've made this a secondary topic. Lord, would you help us, help each one of us, no matter where we're coming from. Lord, what do we expect from the scriptures about these issues in our own lives? Lord, may we not settle for anything less. God, may what what the Corinthian church was being encouraged to be, Lord, may that be the church 20 years later and 200 years later and 2,000 years later. May we be the church that's being built up with every tool that you have given to us, including the Bible. We're being built up by it this morning, but also the ways in which we pray.
the ways in which spiritual gifts operate in our midst. God, may you impart these things to us and awaken them in us and draw us into them in the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you guys sit down for a moment. Just share, this is one of the difficulties of doing two services is that you get to do two announcements that weren't fun to do the first time you did it. (laughs) Um, You know, if we read wise King Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter three, you get this helpful survey of life with all of its events. And and he kind of lets us know for, for everything under heaven, there's a time and a season, right? So there's, there's a storyline of each of our lives. It's being lived out under this seasoning plan of God, where God puts us in certain places and puts us around certain people and calls us to do certain things. And we live our lives uh, in that season. Well, today I sort of drew the short straw among the elders and get to be the guy who shares with you that, that Eric and, and Aaron uh, feel like their season of serving on the staff here at Lakeview is, is coming to a close. Um, that, that I didn't get past this point the first time. <laughs> that they believe the Lord has been bringing them to a place to change course in their lives for some time now. And they feel this is the time to take a step of faith into a different direction. Uh, even though this, this is not imminent, this is not happening this week, next week. Uh, at this point, we thought it best to make the announcement today for you guys to know uh, for a couple of reasons. To, to allow Eric uh, the freedom to look uh, for other things that God may have and to do that openly, not to feel like he couldn't do that because the church doesn't know. But, but then also to invite you to be a part of their lives in this transition to be praying with them, uh, to be part of what we think uh, you know, a network of family is, uh, a means of maybe direction, uh, that, that maybe there's some activity that Eric is going to put into a resume that, that on resume form, he's a lot better at this than that one line right there says, and, and you know that, and you know somebody who could use a guy like that. Uh, and, and you can be a part of helping some of those things take place. Um, so I'm not, you know, not going into incredible details today. This is just kind of an introductory statement. Uh, I'd ask Eric if he wanted to share something today, uh, and he'd prefer just to wait until they get a little better sense of what God's steering and directing them. And then plus, this is this is not a goodbye moment, so it's really hard. I put him on the spot Friday and had him share with the with the staff uh, on Friday to update all of them, and it turned into a goodbye moment for a bunch of them. Started feeling like okay. I mean, to respond by saying goodbye, Eric. You've meant so much to me. Uh, that doesn't need to be where you go today. Uh, but, but what I did want you to know is, is for Eric and for him, this is not a hasty decision. This is not something that just came out of nowhere, right? We've had multiple meetings and conversations with Eric uh, over the past couple of years to, to try and explore different aspects of, of Eric's gifting and the ways that he might serve the church and. Uh, that's included, obviously, worship leading. He's been super involved in administration. He's had pastoral care responsibilities. Uh, nobody has worn the diversity of hats that this one man has worn. 
but, but during that time, especially in the last couple of years, Eric has shared that he, he's wrestled with feelings of being burned out, um, uncertainties about how he's called to serve in particular, and, and whether he should step back from ministry and from being on staff at Lakeview to, to seek some clarity from the Lord. Um, this, it's not something, I want you to be clear, it's not something that we initiated or asked Eric to step down, nor is there any disqualifying sin or problematic situation that's driving this decision. Uh, as we've interacted with Eric through the years, and he and I have had conversations with other team members as well, uh, listen, we'd be aware that we've got differences among us as team members, all of us do, uh, but we don't feel like those differences are something that creates a need to part ways are just ways that we figure out how to come together and benefit from each other's differences and insights as team members. That's just a common thing. All teams do that. For those who are newer to the church, uh, you may not know some of the backstory. Uh, we've had the blessing of serving with Eric uh, since 2004. This college guy who came on staff with us way back then. So uh, this is not an easy moment for, for any of us, for Eric and Aaron, for those of us who've walked with them. This is a, a time for them of stepping into the unknown and they would covet your prayers, obviously, for that. You know, so I've spent time uh, with Eric, you know, through the pandemic season and, and having some conversations then. And the elders have spent time with Eric and Aaron as a couple as they've been processing this. I just began to hear from him a faith to step off in another direction, even though he's not clear on what that direction is. But, but in conversations with him, that's where, if I, if I had a hotspot meter for where the faith is, it wasn't for staying to keep doing what he's doing. It, it seemed to be for stepping out to do something else. And as, as much as I don't like that being the location of faith, that is the faith that I'm hearing from them. I think the other guys as well. And, and so, you know, what I want to do is I, I want to come alongside the faith that's in Eric and Aaron at this point. And that's what we plan to do just to help walk with them into these next steps. Uh, we're still working out details and time frames. Um, again, thought the most important thing to do was to inform you guys of, of what they're thinking through and what steps of faith they're taking and how we can pray for them and walk with them. Uh, in this season, uh, I think what we'd anticipate some form of weaning Eric off of his responsibilities in the weeks to come uh, in the worship category, the administration category as well. But, you know, we're going to work that out uh, as we can in coming weeks and trying to make some flexibility for him to be able to pursue opportunities or be available to do job interviews or, or uh, seek other places that God may be stirring in his heart to go check out. Um, so... Today is not, uh, today's not goodbye. So probably not the right moment to feel like I, I need to have this conversation with Eric on the way out today to tell him all that he's meant to me over the years. Uh, because you're going to have to do that again in whatever, however many weeks this takes to, to play out and for these guys to, to find where God has them next. Uh, again, announcing this today was not to say hey, this is the last time you're going to see Eric. It, it's to inform you of transition, right? a transition that needs some definition 
especially for, for them, but then especially for us as well. Uh, there are roles and responsibilities that, that got invented because Eric could do them. <laughs> that now we're going to be in a place of, okay, who does that? Uh, and how do we restaff and reorganize uh, ourselves in order to be able to move forward in all the areas that God's blessed us with through Eric through the years? So opportunity to pray and to be in faith, opportunity to love on these guys and connect with them in a time uh, that, that they're here with us. Um, and I think you're going to hear from Eric when, he, when you say, well, what's that look like in the future? I think you're going to hear, uh, I'm not sure, because they're not. And um, we can't provide details for what we don't know yet. But, but here, here's a situation in scripture that's just helpful for me to, to I always want to run back to the scriptures and say, God, can I find anything like this? <laughs> in the scriptures for me to draw some insight from. So I do, I find something in Acts chapter 20, I find a moment when the apostle Paul, who is, his heart is knit together with the elders in Ephesus. And he's gonna have a meeting with them as he's passing through town, uh, headed into a future that he's not certain about. And he says this to them. He says, now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit but not knowing what will happen to me there. I think when I listen to Eric, that's, that's that last little couple of phrases. That's what you hear. The sense of constrained by the spirit. Just feel like this is sovereignly what God is ordaining for our lives right now. But I don't know all that that's going to mean. Right? So other people find themselves biblically in this place. Then verse 32. Here's the exchange between Paul and these elders that he loved. He says, now... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, who are set apart, right? So Paul was aware, hey guys, I'm commending you to God because God's purpose is going to continue in you. And I'm gonna commend you to God and entrust you to his grace. And and, and that passage for me is a two-way street this morning. Right? I want us to be in a posture that we are commending Eric and Aaron and their family to God to entrust the future that God has been faithful all the way up to this point. He is going to be faithful into the future and we can commend and entrust them to God and to God's grace, which doesn't have to get earned and nobody has to do everything right for God's grace to show up in our lives. And then I know for Eric, he's going to have to do the same thing with us because there's a sense in which he feels the pull of there's stuff that needs to get done around here that I do. Um, he's going to need to be able to say, hey, Lakeview Christian Center, God has brought us this far. He will, he will continue the work here. And I'm going to commend you to the grace of God that he will perform those things. So just wanted you guys to know and want us just to, to take a moment just to pray to help posture all of us together with these guys for the transition that we're in. So let's bow our hearts together just for a moment. Lord, it helps me in these moments to remember how you see these moments. I know the days... I have ordained for you, says the Lord, before there was even one of them. And I thank you that these moments never feel like a surprise to you. And you don't stand in them with us and stare into the future with a mind full of question marks. 
But we do that because we're, we're creatures and we're limited. But you never do that. And so, Lord, we, we take shelter in this moment in who you are and the way you lead and the way you manage every moment, every season, every person, every setting that exists in your world. And so, Father, in this place, we can commend our friend to you and his family, entrusting them to you, Lord, though days in the future are yet unspelled and we're not clear. God, we commend them to you and to your grace to come find them. That's that's what grace does. It runs us down. It pursues us. It overtakes us. So, Lord, where there's going to be moments for them where fear is close at hand, Lord, would your grace overtake them, swallow them up with a sense of confidence that, Lord, you are leading them into the future. You will provide that. And, Lord, as we, as a church, seek to step into a future that's got more question marks in it than it did just before this announcement for most of us. Lord, would you go before us with a sense of what is God about to do for his glory among us? We entrust ourselves to your grace, Lord, on both ends. So we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys at home. Miss you. Hope to see you soon.